When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. This is Running on Emotion. I'm Alistair Eakin, and I've been speaking to some of the biggest names in British sport. It's a podcast about the role of emotion in sport, from pride to fear, from anger to joy, and all stops in between. My guest in this episode of Running on Emotion is someone who's had to find ways of managing anticipation in the toughest of arenas. Her job description actually dictates that much of her sporting life has been spent anticipating, expecting, second-guessing the immediate future. With the world watching under the greatest possible pressure and individual scrutiny, she held her nerve in sensational fashion to bring home the greatest prize in her sport. As you may have guessed, she's a goalkeeper. She made her international debut 12 years ago, and she's been one of the most dominant forces in the sport of hockey over the last decade, winning 149 caps so far for England and Great Britain. Three times she's been named the Goalkeeper of the Year, the World Goalkeeper of the Year. She's a Commonwealth Games silver medalist, but the culmination of all her hard work came in Rio at the Olympic Games of 2016 when she saved all four penalties in the shootout that decided that dramatic gold medal match against the Netherlands. It was an extraordinary moment of sporting drama that very few who were watching will ever forget. Uh, it is my great pleasure to be able to speak to the legend that is Maddie Hinch. Maddie, thank you so much for being here. Hi, no, thank you for having me. An Olympic gold medalist. I've seen the tattoo on your oh, wrist you? of the Olympic <laughs> rings. I think I'd wake up every morning and, and tell myself I was an Olympic gold medalist if I'd done that. Is that what you do? <laughs> Um, no, I definitely don't. It's interesting because the tattoo, I hardly see it where I put it, but a lot of people see it and I forget it's almost there. And then when you say it, I'm like, am I? I don't think it's ever a title that you fully absorb to to accept in a weird way. It's almost like Rio never really happened. I still watch it and I'm like, did that, were we actually there? Did, did that happen? I see the medal. I was like, is this mine? That still happens to you, doesn't it? Still. Yeah, it's it's a weird feeling. It's a great one, don't get me wrong, but it's almost like it's not real and it's really hard to explain. But like, it for me, it reflects more of the journey than that moment in particular. I think it, I look at that and just think of like everything that's happened in my career rather than specifically that final. And that's quite a common theme amongst some of your teammates. I've, I've listened to quite a lot of interviews of, of the guys that you shared the field with and that feeling is quite familiar isn't it that they really saw it as the culmination of of many many years progress mm. 
Uh, well, there was such a, a varied level of experience throughout that squad. You literally had players that had not qualified for Olympic Games, like kind of had been through those experiences. The guys that were in London and who had that devastating semi-final. And the reason we got there was because of that journey. And really the reason I got there as a younger athlete was because of them passing on what they'd learned along the way and me listening and following and understanding kind of the heartbreak and going through it with them because that squad as well had been rock bottom only a couple of years before uh, so to, to, not even that year and a half before so to turn it around so quickly you know we had to have those leaders alongside us to kind of aspire to follow and and to respect and listen to what they're telling us because they definitely knew what to do more than I did. Well that your teamship unquestionably shone through didn't mm-hmm. it in that Olympic Games um, you are part of a team quite obviously but as a goalkeeper yours is really quite a solitary pursuit at its core isn't it? Yeah, it's a strange position in many ways because you are essentially an individual in a team. Um, And then you're also alongside, so at the minute, for example, there's three full-time goalkeepers and we're a right little like clique as such. And we all get on great, but at the same time, everyone's battling to play. Like, and unless you're the best and you're number one, you don't really play. And I've been kind of in both shirts where I've sat on benches for a long part of my career and never even got to the bench uh, and now, fortunately, I've worked hard enough to kind of get that number one shirt. And then I've got these guys behind me wanting desperately to take it off me. But yet we get each other because we are different to the rest of the squad. We train and do different things. Like even our gym sessions are different. Um, and then when we come into the pitch session, it's almost like we're just like an object in a weird way that the guys have to fire balls past. Um, so you always find that the goalkeeper group are quite united in what they do. And because we get we get each other because it is a little odd. Yeah, I was going to say, are you a bit like wicket keepers in cricket? You're, you're a bit yeah. nuts. Yeah, <laughs> the amount of time this question comes up, well, goalies are always the weird ones. And I'm like, are we? And I'm like, am I weird? And I'm like, maybe I'm a bit different, yes. And I've definitely met some strange goalies. But I think you have to be. Like, yeah. goodness, I've chosen to stand in a position that has, like, absolutely no leeway. It's life on the edge and you're facing balls being fired at you. Uh, but I still, to this day, will say that I'm the safest person on that pitch with the way the game is going these days. I'm padded head to toe, helmet on. Um, and, yeah, I think we're the wimps, probably. Yeah, that much is true. But obviously, maybe this has a great deal to do with your name and perhaps not so much to do with anything else. But you, you do have the nickname of Mad Dog, right? Oh, my goodness. My mum hates that. <laughs> <laughs> like, it keeps coming up. Um, yeah, I do. I think, do you know, what? I think I've always had a bubbly personality. I'm energetic. I, I kind of brought in a style of keeping that hadn't really been seen before. And, and with the way the game has gone, especially with the shootouts, goalkeepers are having to be dynamic and athletic and run around in their kit. And so that's th- because that's because the shootouts have become a shuffle, haven't they? So yeah, it's not exactly. a Straight exactly. up penalty stroke. Exactly. Thank to... goodness, because I was useless at the stroke. So when the when the new system came in, I was like, okay, this is great. This is right <laughs> up my street. I can make myself a name for myself here. And the game's got faster. You know, the, the majority of goals are scored in that five-yard area. So you have no choice but to come off your line and, and be willing to do so. Um, and I've always kind of had that like energy to my game. And yeah, seemed maybe as a little bit mad on the pitch, a little bit odd, I guess, in the way I was playing. But now it's kind of created a bit of a trend that goalkeepers have, you know, they need to be athletes and they need to be brave and, and put themselves kind of in the way. You talk about bravery, which is obviously one of the the key elements, mm-hmm. but has emotion played a big part in your career, would you say? Oh, 100%. Oh, on so many levels, I think from the very beginning in terms of the fact that I kept getting told no, it made me quite a, I guess, a stubborn 
determined character of wanting to constantly prove people right because I am stubborn and I am incredibly driven and when people say no I, I just try and prove them wrong even more and double down yeah exactly and I guess like I said before because I was a bit different people didn't almost like different at the beginning they wanted to pick the goalie that seemed a little bit safer or just stood there the kind of typical style and I came onto the scene it was like oh my goodness what's she doing don't do that and I kept getting told that if I keep playing that way it won't work. I'm too small. I'm too energetic. And I just didn't believe that that could possibly be true and that this is where I kind of belonged. Uh, so, I've, yeah, I guess from the beginning, that emotion of heartbreak so many on so many occasions where I got the phone call, the email saying, yet again, you're not picked. But I just felt like I just needed to be like in the right group of people, you know, under the right coaches that saw this potential in me. Uh, and that's essentially what happened eventually. So when I got to that stage, I'm grateful that I had that kind of stubbornness because now I need to use that in a different way. Do you remember how you felt when you first put the pads on? Uh, yeah, I think I was actually really annoyed because I was new to that school. So I arrived in the summer term. My dad was in the Navy and we travelled a lot as family, so we changed school all the time. So I arrived that summer and it was rounders, and again, very dramatic and energetic in a rounders field. And the PE teacher said to me at the end of that summer, we'd love you to try and be the goalie next term in hockey. And first of all, I was like, one, I don't know what hockey is. I don't know what she's all about. I was a little footballer. We were living in Belgium beforehand. So I, that was kind of my thing. And I was a midfielder. So right, again, like in willing to do the running, which I can't believe I, was even the case because I hate running now. And then when she said goalkeeper, I was like, God, that sounds boring. That can't be for me. And, I, and they were like, you, honestly, you suit it. Like the way you move, it's great. And I was thinking, you're only doing that because I'm the new kid. And again, back then no one wanted to be the goalie. Like, it was literally like the last pick position. So it was like I was kind of encouraged to put the, the pads on and, yeah, handed this ginormous bag full of kit that stank and, uh, and uh, yeah, practice. put it on in the changing room. I can still to this day see the girls, like, laughing at me. Be like, oh, you got that funny position. I was like, God, it is funny. Like, I literally look like a little bit of a... Um, Michelin man. Yeah, exactly, a Michelin man. And I'm waddling out to the pitch and, uh, yeah, for the first few sessions, if I'm honest... It, I couldn't understand what was enjoyable about like picking the ball out of the net and rolling it back to all these excited forwards. But you do go on to learn the the heroism side of the position, I guess. Like literally one key moment can change the momentum of a game or, or kind of, yeah, lift your whole team. So uh, that's the stuff I hang on to and kind of strive for to get now. How long did it take before the pads felt like they were part of you? For me, I think immediately, I have to say, I don't think it ever felt like I couldn't, be me still and it was essentially a second skin to me so I just yeah took my character and my personality into that role and, and became the keeper that I am today really. I appreciate that it would have taken a little while for you to get to this point but was it the heroism bit that actually really did attract you to it once you had a taste of it? I think so yeah and I, I guess because I again was just being me out there I kind of liked the diving around bit the ultimate saves I was really looking for those um Full lengthers. Yeah, exactly. Because yeah. again, like the early part of my career, I was I was always looking for those kind of camera saves, like the, the top corner and like the big moments. But I had to learn that I, they don't come around very often, and you need to stop the stuff that regularly arrives at you. And that's I had to almost calm down, really. And uh, that's probably why I struggled a little bit. So yeah, I think I, yeah, just that. There's no better feeling. I cannot. I don't think an outfield player has it when they score. I, like I'll never understand that. Well. I might do, because when I retire, I definitely want to go play up <laughs> front up and front. be that like, hanging forward. But anyways, that's another story. But that feeling of a huge save and the crowd roaring, or even like in training, no crowd alone, you just know that that was like massive. And you see people's reaction, like, how on earth did she save that? It's so cool. Yeah, I think it's just a great position. So when, when you were learning about 
how to keep goal. Obviously, anticipation, expectation, absolutely critical part of that. You sound like you were quite an overexcited youngster. Would that be right? Yeah, understatement. Incredibly so, and too much. I didn't know how to bring all that energy and essentially harness it in a different way because I would want to constantly run out my goal. I'd want to constantly make a big impact. And sometimes, well, you have to learn that that's not how the games go. Like you could spend 59 minutes stood there doing absolutely nothing. The game could be nil-nil and you might have one big moment. And how, if if you're constantly trying to like release energy somewhere, how do you not then make that one action too far or too much and that's experience I think people always say like goalkeepers mature like a like a fine wine and then I remember someone saying to me you won't be any good until you're like 27 28 and actually the Olympics for me was when I was 27 28 having had a few more years under my belt as number one and and had been through the highs and lows of, of getting it wrong and learning and I think you, you just have to mentally be able to harness so much excitement by yourself because you are stood there by yourself and kind of when needed come into action and make the right decision in the right moment it's tough it's 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 a really tough position it's completely unforgiving because you get it wrong and the game shifts and I've had games where I've not touched it and we've been 4-0 down literally not touched the ball yet and we're 4-0 down and you feel awful yeah and again it's that emotion of not beating yourself up or you know putting yourself to blame it's a challenge it has been a challenge to say the least but a good one Would you say you're in any way a nervous person? You don't strike me as a nervous person, but there are nerves and anxiety levels, mm. I'm assuming, that, that are associated with your job in particular. Yeah, definitely. I think when I'm not nervous, I'm more worried. I think the nerves these days help me. Yeah, you need that excitement. You need that buzz, definitely, because, again, I can't get a perfect touch on the ball to make me feel in the game. Like I can't determine my next action, so I have to generate all this sort of emotion myself. So I I would say, I wouldn't say I fear much, to be honest, but that comes from how hard I work away from from the pitch to make me just feel ready. I think the only time I do fear things or I'm really anxious in a bad way is when I know I've not done the amount of work that's required or I've cut corners or, you know, I'm just not happy in myself. They're the real scary moments, I think. But when you've, you've done the work, it's an excitable nerves and it's a good thing to have. And would you use music? Definitely, yeah. I've... <laughs> my playlist I used to I used to be a nightmare I used to go from like lucky socks to where I pack my bag always having to have a shower before the game regardless of the time playlist on my iPod would be iPod yeah literally that's how old I am now <laughs> iPod to iPhone would have been the same tuck jumps at the top of the circle yeah I kind of read but all, like, all this sort of stuff is has not really changed I have cut some down though because you do get to a point where you're like I can't keep wearing the same socks like it's disgusting that's so, a pretty exhaustive list you yeah, just mentioned like, honestly that's what I was like but again I kind of knew that if I had all those things I felt ready but then you know, what happens if you lose your socks in the wash? I, again, these are the sort of things that sometimes happen, or you forget your iPod. Like, you can't then be, well, then we're screwed. Like, I'm not going to play well. You you have to learn. I've had those moments as a youngster where I was like, brilliant. I'd already kind of ripped myself off because my routine had been thrown off. So it, for me, it's more about now the routine, that the controllables, really. Even if I probably rocked up now and, and had to rush onto the pitch for whatever reason, I, I still believe that when you've done all the work behind the scenes, you just have to trust that it's going to happen. And if it doesn't, it's not through lack of practice. So there shouldn't be any regret. Right. So you you kind of come to a place where you've simplified everything a little bit. What about others around you? I mean, the the anticipation levels must be pretty high on, on game day. 
are there a great range of means and ways that other people use that time? Yeah, a, a change room is a very strange place. I think before a game, you really kind of un- get to see people in a different light and their per- and how their personalities kind of affect their pre-game routines. You've got like this corner of the change room that are all like cracking jokes and are extremely loud, and they're almost getting their anxiety out by being loud and being together and having a laugh. Then you've got part of the change room that like headphones in, like literally look like they want to be sick, <laughs> but they we know they're fine. And then you've got some people who just look, you know, so chilled or, or don't look any different to they normally do on a day-to-day basis. So this is the sort of conversations you have to have as a squad because, again, when I first joined the team, I would look over to that exciting corner and go, are they mental? Or I'd look over to the other corner and go, is she okay? And then I'd start taking in kind of their energy and worrying about them, which wouldn't help me. So I was having these conversations and saying, okay, hi, I'm Maddie. And for me on a match day, this is what I'll look like. And this is what to expect. And when I'm doing all these things, that's because that I believe is going to help me go out and perform. So then the trust is there. If you don't have those conversations, you can't help but overthink those moments and be like, why is she doing that? Or why is she doing that? And yeah, those those people tend to do the same thing then going throughout your you know your career. Yeah, well, it, it sounds like the the exhaustive prep that was done by your squad, particularly and Danny Kerry, your mm-hmm. coach, was was absolutely key to to your success. Would you say in those moments that you've just been describing, which by the way, you know, pretty much every sports fan across the globe would love to be yeah. a part of, you know, ahead of a really big match or, or something. Do you feel more alive in that? state you know kind of on high alert increased senses yeah I think so I I think I guess I feel more in the zone I don't know if I necessarily become overly excited these days I think it's for me it becomes a narrowing of my focus and a narrowing of that energy and literally putting it into kind of almost like a determination I guess for example the song that I listen to on my iPhone (laughs) when I'm now jogging or warming up and doing my dynamic stuff without kit on is it's like quite a it's almost like you're going to battle. I heard it on the radio when like 10 years ago and I was like, oh my God, I feel like I need to go to war. And that was the song I needed. So when I walk off the pitch, I'm like, literally like I'm going to battle. That's what the energy I'm looking for. Probably looking a little bit angry uh, and uh, and a little bit like you're not going to mess with me type of approach rather than Maddie who can come across like a little bit jokey or a little bit too relaxed. For me, I know when I'm in that kind of, you are not going to score past me mode and I am not going to let you beat me. I'm in a good place. Okay, so it's a Friday night in August 2016. There are 9 million people watching in the UK Mm -hmm. as Great Britain draw 3-all with the Netherlands in the Olympic hockey final, the gold medal match. The news is moved. It's that (laughs) important. It's that dramatic. The Netherlands, of course, have been hoovering up Olympic titles. They were silver medalists in 04. They won gold in 08 and 12. So it's all come down to a penalty shootout and the spotlight is about to fall on you. (laughs) How are you feeling? Well, I'm glad I didn't have you like building up the game for me because otherwise <laughs> I would have been incredibly nervous if I'd heard all that. As a squad, there was a reason we made ourselves almost like no one could really contact us. We had different phones with like essentially a couple of numbers on from people that we like knew would say the right things at the right moments. We'd taken ourselves off social media. We were in the smallest little bubble amongst the biggest kind of bubble around the world at that time. So we Quite an achievement, that. I mean, that's, yeah. that's not easy to do, no. I would suggest, and in this day and age. thank goodness we did. Because like, we didn't know about the 9 million. We didn't know about the news. <laughs> yes, we knew the importance of the game and the final and what was on the line, but we didn't know about these factors that were not really important to us in that moment and if we had of course it would have been like oh my goodness I'm gonna let down nine million people like it it would have been hard to ignore so that that kind of isolation from ourselves as such was was hugely important because 
it was massive. I remember the whole build up, but I remember also the calmness amongst the group and in myself. I never really saw it as we had anything to lose or that it was kind of any bigger than the game beforehand or the game before that. It just felt like another day (laughs) over in Rio. It was weird. It's really hard to explain. Like we were constantly on this like routine where play a game, park it, recover, play a game, park it, recover. Like don't look too far ahead. It was Australia first up, Argentina, India. And then all of a sudden, oh, final, here we are. Oh, great. Dutch. Okay, lovely. Oh, uh, we've done again. Like, we, d- we just did this two days ago. Let's go again. And that was, I remember after the semi-final, there was obviously an excitement. Like, my goodness, like we're guaranteed at least a silver medal here. And everyone's got a bit of energy at the end of the game. And then we got into the huddle and it was Kate saying, one more game, guys, one more game. And all of a sudden, everyone kind of stopped celebrating. And it was like, yeah, you're right. We've actually got to do this one more time. Just walked off. It was like nothing. had As if they hadn't clocked it at all. It was just a natural progression of things. Yeah, it was weird. And of course, like, we were buzzing. Like, I was like, God, I could go home here with a silver medal. But again, I don't ever remember thinking, getting carried away with that. It was just how we'd been kind of created this atmosphere amongst ourselves, that we were here to do a job. We're here to win gold. And this is how we're going to get there. So let's do it together. Tick off the list. And it will... It will be in our hands if we do it this way. Amazing to hear you talk about that because, of course, with English sports fans, we yeah. have a collective fear, yeah. a collective dread, and a real sense of foreboding about any match that involves penalties. <laughs> and yet somehow, because of <laughs> Not, your bubble, yeah. that just absolutely wasn't a factor. Not us, no. We'd had good success across the penalties throughout the years beforehand, but I think that was only off the back of how much preparation we do back at Bisham. So there was n- literally, like for myself in particular, there was no element of fear when when that final whistle went it was like there was no oh my goodness it's all coming down to me now and I've got a big role to play here it was a really nice place to be that I think every athlete searches for where you just feel incredibly ready how did you feel physically uh great I felt great it helped that I'd had such a busy game um, and I felt very much in the match and I've had finals before where the emotion of the tournament started to take its toll and I felt tired and I was almost like the ball started to be hard to see but this one I was like full of life you know I got into that game early with a with a penalty save and I remember them hitting the crossbar which again in all the key games throughout that tournament someone hit the post and it was like it was gonna happen I don't know it just felt like it was our time and again we had a great history against the Dutch in shootouts in particular all you had to do was look at them to know that we were gonna win they were beaten before we started and that's how it wasn't just me the whole group the team not taking them the team taking them myself no one feared a thing and we felt incredibly ready Um, and that's what I guess showed when the penalties went ahead what what an extraordinary sequence of events that, that led to this moment that your anticipation is able to be so incredibly calm I mean that's mm-hmm. a that's a remarkable thing isn't it but You've mentioned quite a lot about your prep and the detail mm-hmm. that you go into. You become famous for that little notebook, <laughs> notebook. Um, which you took out at the key moment before yeah. it all started. So tips on the opposition. Yeah. Just talk us through that process for yeah. you. Yeah, so, yeah, the notebook. I guess so much of the work had been done hours and weeks and months beforehand that if we, you know, regardless, I felt ready and I felt like they knew the opposition without that book. For me, the book was part of my routine as well. And from the moment the whistle goes, I knew I'd go to the bench, i change my stick, i come back over to the group. The group knew what to say to me in that moment. I knew what to say to certain people. Like, I don't really want to 
come on, Mads, I didn't, I didn't really want that stuff. I just wanted to be left to kind of my own little world that I was in. And people knew this is the detail we'd taken into account as a group that maybe other teams didn't. And so it was just kind of like head down, go get my stick, go get my notebook. I'm flicking through. I didn't really know why I was looking through because I literally could see the video in my head. I saw the Dutch line up and it was like, oh, yeah, I kind of knew you were all gonna, those ones were going to take it because we'd done the homework. So for every Dutch player that stepped forward, you had a video in your head of what was yeah. going to unfold. Yeah, it had helped that the Dutch had a shootout in the semi-final, and it is very hard to to back-to-back win shootouts. So I had some very recent footage, but I also had footage of them against me twice in finals. So I, I knew them. I just knew them so well. And I kind of knew what they did when things didn't go well and what they probably resorted to when if that had happened recently. So I knew the guys that had missed beforehand, they're probably going to now resort to this. Or the guys that scored, that's, you know, they're going to, under the biggest pressure moment of their life, they're going to want to resort to their strength. So I'd written down in my book kind of really a plan that I felt would counteract that strength or that action. So really when I was looking at my notebook, I was sort of just kind of reminding myself, yep, she wants to drive hard to her backhand, so you need to get out quick here. Or you know, give her time. She won't want the time to stay on the line, that sort of stuff. But there was one Dutch girl that I didn't know. I didn't know who she was. Um, and I, I remember when she stepped up, she was walking over and I was like, who is that? And where's my video? Yeah, I was like, <laughs> who is that? And then I started like looking back on my older notes to be like, oh, she must be in here somewhere. And I was like, Manny, you're giving it away now that you can't find her. So I was like, close the book and just Frantic walk. shuffling. Yeah. Well, it didn't just show just because the footage of good. you just shows somebody very, very calm and focused. Yeah, I felt that way. It's it's really hard to explain how I got to that stage. Of course, I was nervous and very excited in the moment for sure, but I definitely didn't fear a thing. Like, I didn't fear it at all. And that is the difference when I've got it wrong and got it right. You, you kind of fear the outcome before it's even happened. I never saw them scoring past me in my head before I walked in the goal. Like, I just kind of could see my little routine and I'm going to run out here And if they do it better than I execute my routine, then okay, fair play, move on to the next one sort of thing. I'm intrigued by this idea that you'd spoken to each other about what to say to each other Mm -hmm. in a scenario like that. So you'd wargamed everything. I mean, most people assume that preparation for a penalty shootout involves lots of people taking penalty shootouts relentlessly, (laughs) or in your case, trying to save them. But it went way deeper than that. So much deeper than that. We had conversations around like how long it should take to walk for the guys, you know, the five to walk to the line to get the ball. And also like conversations like, do they look at the goalkeeper? So they would chat to me and say, you know, when when you're in the goal and the opposition looks up and looks at you, do you like that? And I'd be like, absolutely. Because then I've got their attention off themselves and they're looking at me and I'm moving a bit around in the goal or I'm making a bit of noise. Great, that's what I want. And little things like Helen always liked to dribble the ball a little bit. So the girls would say, does that help you? And then Sophie would be like, nah, not for me, because if I then miss dribble that, all of a sudden I feel like I'm going to yeah, mess up my dribble. So again, it was just the detail that we went through it was extreme, really. But then nothing surprised us. Like it just felt like another day back at Bisham. It really did. It was just like we've done this a million times. Was that your suggestion amongst you to, to do that, to delve that deep? Or was that a Danny Kerry thing as the coach? Danny definitely implemented a culture of being like scholars of the game and going above and beyond of like the detail, the little one percenters. We also had a group that was able to take that on and the desire to win gold was so strong and to do it for one another 
that there was no way people would cut corners or not go do the work or do the training. These are the conversations that really were the little detail that made the big difference at the end of the day. Do you think it was just that it was a very, very special group that allowed you to do that? And I include Danny Mm. Kerry, obviously, in that. But when we talk about the anticipation of a moment Mm. of such magnitude, to be able to be so clear-eyed about Mm. it is extremely rare, I would suggest. Yeah, it was definitely a special group. We were a team like no one's ever really seen, I think. The togetherness that we we displayed it was incredibly unique. And I think our psychologist, Andrea First, was huge in kind of creating this culture of trust and spending that sort of time getting to know the athlete as a person as well. So Maddie on a bad day, Maddie on a good day. If, say, one of the girls comes on the pitch and the first thing she does is mistrap the ball or she looks nervous or she's just having a bad day at the office, we all have that. What can I do as my teammate to help her in that moment still contribute to the game? And as a player, if you're on a bad day, how do you not just go, oh, God, like I'm going to be useless today? And like basically the team ends up carrying you. You know, OK, today's a bad day. Not a lot I can do about it, but I can still do this, this and this. This is in my control to still contribute to that match and contribute to that win. And they were the conversations that we spent hours and hours and hours in rooms and then meeting about that meeting about that meeting. To get, and everybody was on board with this? Everyone was, don't get me wrong, it, it took time. And I think the first time we won as a group, and that was the Euros in London, then I think there was a shift to go from bottom of a World Cup the summer before to all of a sudden a gold medal. And, and that World Cup, I'm so grateful for because it made us have these conversations that were incredibly honest and difficult and to be like, who really wants this? And we not really ever really asked each other that. And the passion behind people's, like why they were there, their whys really, was so great to hear. So that gold medal in, in London, it was like, oh my goodness, like we could actually do this. And then that took us really through to, to Rio. So the growth was visible across that couple of years, wasn't it? Very clearly. And Presumably for each individual as well. You mentioned you as a youngster, excitable, launching yourself left, right and centre. Yes, dynamic, but slightly scatterbrained at times by the sounds of things. And then to this this cold-eyed assassin. Yeah, Yeah. I mean, that's quite a journey in itself. Massively. And and again, that was having the teammates that I had around me. And I guess as a person, I've always had a huge amount of respect for, for those guys that have been there and done it and what they've achieved. Like I would idolise like the number one at that time when I came into the programme and the captain and, and Alex's and these guys that had a hundred and odd caps. So I was like, these were my idols. And all I wanted to know was like, how did they get to those points? So I was always quite open to learning and kind of listening. And I guess that is maybe a, a character that you do need in your teammates. And I think it takes time. It was just the culture. We just almost had the the perfect blend of like experience and youth and basically that merged together kind of exactly the right time. I'm intrigued also, Maddie, about the element because it's so kind of mano a mano, you know, the shuffle situation, that one-on-one scenario, the mind games. And of course, the notebook to some degree is part of that, right? Mm -hmm. And some of the best athletes in the world across any number of different sports Mm -hmm. are trying to get into the head of their opposite number so how do you feel you did that or indeed did they get into yours at any point for me the notebook was definitely part of them again me trying to draw their attention off themselves to me so me sat there kind of quite away from the five or slightly away from them so again quite easy to spot was something that we wanted to do on purpose and me being seen to go through my notebook and and kind of get the page ready again I could see them looking at me and it could have been blank like the whole book could have been blank and I could have done nothing and it would have still probably made them think oh does she know what I'm gonna do she's clocked me yeah a little bit um so so that was kind of definitely one 
I would always try and take my time. Again, it was don't be dictated by them. So I knew kind of my time to arrive at the goal. Like I wanted that walk to be quite slow. I wanted them to wait. So I kind of would always time it that they would get to the ball before I've even got to the goal. So then they stood there waiting for me, which you want. Um, Just little psychological yeah, wins. And I'm not like, I'm not a boisterous person like I'm not going to go start screaming and shouting or like storming around like it's just not in me to do that but I will subtly work out ways to again just draw their attention to me so I do tap the post I, I shuffle from side to side in the goal especially if they're looking at me like again like keep your eyes on me because now you're not thinking about yourself and so when you are in that space and clearly you know you'd obviously reached that that place that's sort of sporting nirvana almost mm-hmm. people talk about the zone don't they and, yeah. and this this intense focus was there any moment at which point that was punctured at all during that process where you suddenly thought oh my god actually gold is is right there i can handle heart say that that didn't never happen not as far as i'm aware it's really hard to remember the emotion of that exactly like i say it, it still feels like a dream and like it never happened but i don't ever remember any kind of sense of panic or the you know putting the scale of the the enormity of the situation on my shoulders or saying stuff to that i've no i've said to myself like if you don't say this we'll lose like i've said that to myself before in in moments big moments and that doesn't help None of those things crept into my head and, and you do wonder why on that occasion that was the case, whereas on other occasions it was less kind of on the line. But like I say, it was almost just like it was meant to happen and, and we just deserved it and, and I felt like I'd done enough to deserve to have a good shootout and I trusted that I would and I and I just kind of felt like I knew I'd save them. That's yeah, I, well, it, it, as we know, it all worked out yeah. amazingly well, but uh, there were also other people who had to fulfil their part of the bargain, yeah, right? exactly. And, um, you know, no doubt there was a lot of anticipation amongst the group mm-hmm. as they were watching each and every one step up to try to score their own shuffle. Do you, do you feel there were players who, who handled that scenario better than others and I'm not just saying on on your side I'm talking the Dutch as well potentially Uh, I mean I would only really compare us to the Dutch in that I think again I didn't spend a huge amount of time focusing on the on the five I kind of knew that they would all be fine and and they probably spent no time focusing on me either because they knew I'd be fine and again that was the trust that we created you know way before the games I remember seeing footage now and seeing how like people are laughing and smiling like in the five or laughing beforehand but smiling throughout the shootout um which is a great sign a real kind of relaxed sense of we're going to be okay and almost like it's okay if we're not going to be okay sort of thing like don't panic like trust just trust it's an extraordinary yeah. intangible that isn't it that fine line between self confidence yeah. and a degree of kind of flippancy of arrogance even yeah and that is normally what you would see from the guys in Orange, purely because they've won it things so often and, and, and almost have felt like they've earned that right to carry that kind of sense, that air of arrogance or it looks that way. And I know a lot of those guys now quite well and, and they're not those sort of people that you kind of presume, like they come across like very arrogant and, and very kind of self-assured. And that's just how you see the Dutch hockey side because they're world number one, they've been there forever, they kind of feel like they've earned that right. We, on the other hand probably did have a little bit of that. I know people say about me, like, you seem quite an arrogant person. I'm like, I've got so much self-doubt in my game. Or, But when I feel ready, I carry myself with a level of confidence and that yet can be perceived as an arrogance, I guess. And, and maybe the Dutch would have looked at us and thought, God, they look arrogant. But we would have said, no, we're not arrogant. We're just ready. And that was the difference between the two sides because I could look at them and they were, all that air of arrogance had gone. There was none of it to be seen. The coach 
was somewhere else. She'd like gone away somewhere and they looked, they just looked beaten. You have to be able to kind of, whatever you're feeling inside, display a sense of strength. And again, as a goalkeeper, I have to do that more than anyone probably because if, if it feels like it's crumbling from my line, it, it flows through the team. So I have days where I feel like I can't stop. I mean, you know, I'm like a sieve, but I certainly can't um, display that to my back line. I, you know, I've got to kind of give off a sense of confidence and I've always got a bit of a strut with the way I carry myself. And are there occasions when you actively have to tell yourself to do that? Yes. When you know it's not your day, oh, when it's not going your way? A lot of the time, yeah. A lot, probably you. more often than not, I feel like that. So you're kind of faking it to make it, essentially. A little bit, a little bit yeah, a little times. bit. And that can not be from a lack of prep. It's sometimes just you just feel tired or, you know, your legs just feel like lead or, or whatever. And then what I always say to myself is if I was, like, sat in the crowd now as a youngster and I'm watching me, what am I seeing? So I would always look for certain, like, actions from myself like shoulders back the way I walk around the D I'm very like active in the circle you never see me really just stood on the line you always can hear me and yeah and I've got a bit of a swagger I always say like it's like the circle is just my space and it's my you know it's my zone and you you should see that on a good or bad day from me and that's again has taken some time to get to because I've definitely they used to call it the Maddie Paddy where it would be toys at the pram sticks broken like people would know that I'm furious or that they've beaten me and again I had to listen to the guys that had been there and done it you know the number one at the time who, who was I was kind of like learning from and, and Kate and Hells and, and those guys to be like Manny you just can't do that like it just at this level that you can't get away with that sort of stuff and it's, uh, it's ammunition to the opposite 100% like that's what we're looking for when we're, when we're playing those guys so for me now it's yeah it's like being that like ice queen isn't it it's like a Roger Federer he, he can't tell what he's thinking and, and I remember give them nothing give them nothing I remember Beth's story like I could never tell what she was thinking she was like that, yeah there's an awful lot going on in my head but it's great that you don't know because then, then it's just between me and myself really were you able to enjoy it, Maddie, at the time? Yes. Yes. I can, again, I can honestly say that I, I think if you'd zoomed in through my helmet, I would have been smiling for a lot of it, weirdly. Um, <laughs> so, I, yes, yeah, I can't say I've ever felt as content, maybe, as I did in that moment. Yeah, there was just a feeling that it, that it was going to happen. And I just remember thinking, like, you know, if I don't save any, it's certainly through not lack of trying. So enjoy it. And again, I'd been in the game. I'd, I'd looked forward to every save. That's a different one where sometimes I'm like, please don't shoot. That you, If you've got that, you're probably going to miss it. You've almost predicted it's gone in the goal before they've even hit it. Whereas I was in the, the zone where, go and hit it because I'm going to save it. Amazing. It's an extraordinary story. After the Olympics, a little while on, you decided you needed to take a break, didn't you? Because mm-hmm. I guess there was an element of burnout. Did you 100%. struggle for motivation having climbed the mountain? It was a combination of a few things. I think once you've had a taste of like the ultimate, you can't help but want it all the time. So I couldn't understand why we weren't in finals all the time and you know why we were potentially playing for fifth or sixth just felt like pointless. All of a sudden, like my bubble became ginormous that's how it felt like I'd gone from someone who really only cared about the little white ball and like stopping it really that was pretty much all I thought about um and maybe what I was having for lunch like this was like the athlete that I was just all of a sudden reading listening and and absorbing everyone's opinions and that is something that I got incredibly wrong because all of a sudden I came from someone who had no idea who I was to going to the post office and be like oh you're that goalie 
and oh you're amazing and, and the paper saying oh you're superhuman and I was like well I'm really not because in the months building up to this I'd had some shockers I've let in some terrible goals but all anyone had seen was like this deemed perfect day at the office and I was like hang on a second I let in three goals as well so we had to <laughs> score three to get me out of of that as well so take on pressures from sponsors pressures from friends and family your role within the team are all of a sudden all the the big dogs and the leaders they'd all left and all of a sudden I was one of those and it was like oh my goodness like I, I don't really know how to handle this role and then it just was it was exhausting and, and I was knackered and for somebody who collectively had anticipated pretty much everything by the size of things you'd left yeah. no stone unturned could you possibly have anticipated what you would have felt no, like at no, that point? No, definitely not. I don't think any of us really saw it coming. I think a lot of us believed we could win and that we probably would, especially as that tournament went on. I had no doubt really towards the end of it that we were going to win it. But it was the aftermath, like, what does actually winning an Olympic gold medal mean? And what, what does that, how does that change things? And I guess with the, the way that game went and the Friday night and the news moving and the nine million people, like, no one saw that coming. That was, that was the difference. And, yeah, flying home and going on to TV shows and everyone talking about it consistently over and over again was something that we didn't prepare for, if I'm honest. It transformed our game in this country and, and we're very grateful for the fact that we had the opportunity to show our sport in front of 9 million people. That doesn't come around every day. But yeah, it was a challenge and it has been ever since, if I'm honest. Did it take you long? You now happily have your, your love of the sport back. Yeah. How long did it take you to retrieve that? So I probably battled with that gold and everything that came with it all the way up to uh, the Home World Cup. And I guess, again, a Home World Cup, like we sold at a 10,000-seater stadium with a ginormous, like you couldn't even see the sky when you were in the tunnel. It was just crowd and the noise. Like this doesn't happen in hockey every day. Like it's it's not something you can say, oh, every weekend I play in front of 10,000 people for my club. Like you go from man and the dog to 10,000 screaming fans who, as soon as your name is announced, it's like ridiculously loud. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, everyone is, what? and then all of a sudden I take that stuff in. Whereas before, that might have been happening. You know, like when you read your name, I'm, I definitely never heard it. That was the difference. Whereas now I almost kind of saw it coming before, took it all in. So then I'm in my warm up. I can hear people shouting my name or whatever. Like that stuff didn't happen before. So I guess, yeah, from, from Rio through to two years later at the Home World Cup, then the disappointment of that Home World Cup and again, not making a final and especially at home and just feeling like it was always the Olympic champions. It's like, God, there's only like six of us left, but we were the Olympic champions and we have to constantly be there. And I, as a goalkeeper and as Maddie Hinch, have to constantly deliver a level of performance that people are expecting or I thought perceived people were expecting. It definitely burnt me out. And with that, I got angry. And with that, I just started to hate playing. Like I resented it um, and I feared it. I remember like before the World Cup, having a bit of like a breakdown with Alex, our captain, just being like, I'm terrified. I was like, I'm terrified. I don't want to play. Like, it was stuff like that, which again was so against me as a person. Like wow. it was, it was weird. It was a scary place to be, and I just kind of said to myself, unless I do something here, like or if I cut, try and hang on, my career will end out of my. It won't be from my decision, um, and I need to do something about it. So yeah, I chose to make the incredibly tough decision to kind of give away the number one shirt for the first time in a long time and step away, because. You can't play well if you don't love it. Like, there's no doubt about that. Um, and I'd lost the buzz, like, put my kit on, become a chore. And so, yes, yeah, stepped away from the programme and, and relocated to Holland. What brought it back for you? Um, a lot of psychology work, a lot of therapy, a lot of conversations, like, 
really breaking down what was working out what was hurting me really and and what were the problems because again like in the heat of it all you can't really see what the issues are in my head it was like oh I've been in the program too long and I'm tired of the way we're doing things like this and why aren't we doing things like this and I was like battling everyone but actually the the bigger issue was the way I was handling a lot of the stuff myself so the fact that I was taking on too much I was trying to commit a life in Holland I was trying to commit a life as like Maddie Hinch who's now seen a bit of a brand like I didn't get that or the commitments outside of it um, and all this sort of stuff I was saying yes to everything and trying to do everything to perfection because it's very much in my character to do so that there was no space for me to give back to myself and to switch off. And I and yeah, I think when I got to Holland, again, I presumed as soon as I would arrive there that I would just all of a sudden be happy again. That wasn't the case at all. I was miserable. The girls over there were like, what on earth has happened to you? I, I didn't know. I didn't understand. I was in a really, really bad place mentally. And it really took me to step away from the sport entirely to work out really what I wanted and 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 again not just step away from the sport but step away from the environment that was constantly reminding me of the sport so I chose to leave the country get away from my family get away from my friends get away from the team and just travel to Australia by myself so as far away as you could possibly pretty much, go yeah pretty right. much run away um put myself on a boat in no in, balls no, no sticks no, no, no pads no kit bag no nothing and yeah just like took myself over there and and again whilst I was there I went through the phase of I think I prefer this life like I prefer not having the pressure and the expectation anymore like I'm done with it I don't want it all this sort of things so I, it was a real roller coaster of emotions and I never kind of really knew what I wanted to do until I finally started to miss it and that came also from having an extended period of time out my pads like 10-12 weeks never had happened in my career so I missed first off I missed goalkeeping I missed like the buzz uh, I looked forward to training again so when I came back I was so excited to play uh, and and that carried through and, and then I was yeah enjoying playing club again and then enjoying watching the girls play missing it wanting to be a part of the action and I knew if I could hang on to that kind of feeling throughout that whole second half of the season in Holland that I would probably be in a good enough place to to pick up the phone and say would you consider having me back and that's kind of how it went oh well thank goodness you did from a mutual perspective maddie i think <laughs> it's great that you're back and and you're able to play with a smile now hopefully and i guess appreciate the you know the privilege that you have to play sport for a living which i know you you fully you fully understand but not everybody has that gratitude i guess in in the thick of it in the, yeah. in the fog of war i think that's what you really lose sight of i think you can literally forget that you love the game so the amount of times like with Sykes that I was talking to them and it was like, why are you like, why do you play? Like that always used to be a really easy answer for me. Like I love, I love it. I love goalkeeping. And I couldn't really ever answer it during that, that bad period. And now it is like, I just remind myself, because don't get me wrong, it's not always perfect still. Like I still have days where stuff gets you down and you still get annoyed. It's, that's normal. But if I quickly bring myself back to like, I just love playing and I'm so lucky to do what I do and to get to kind of live the life that I live and I still want to be the best. All that stuff still exists, but I put a lot of energy now into the group and trying to be the best version of myself for them not just for me, because I guess I, I've always been a, quite a selfish athlete. And I think that comes with the role, like you are quite isolated and you, yeah, you just see it as stop the ball and this is how I'm going to do it. It's all about me sort of thing. And now I'm trying to, yeah, kind of give off everything that I've learned over my career as the Kates and Hells and Alex's did to me and, and enjoy doing that. And it makes the bad days seem a little bit easier. And and I certainly enjoy putting my pads on these days, that's for sure. Well, that's great. It sounds like you, you do have the love back. And I think all of us with 
with jobs that we love at the moment are feeling grateful for them yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, at this point, for sure. Maddie, it's been such a pleasure. Thank you very, yes. very much for, for coming in and for, for being so generous with your time, sharing your your stories, your insights into handling emotion in sport. It's been, it's been brilliant. I wish you well in all your preparations. Hopefully, Tokyo next summer, all being well. Thank you very much again. No problem. Thank you. You've been listening to Running on Emotion with me, Alistair Eakin, an Eakin Media production for Audi. If you've enjoyed listening, please subscribe, like, and rate us wherever you get your podcasts. Our hashtag is Running on Emotion, and you can find us on Twitter and Instagram. Sound is by Norman Goodman, and the series producer is Andrew Sampson. Thanks for listening. <laughs>